Welcome to Simple Truth, the teaching ministry of Pastor Eddie Turner and Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Through the practical and simple explanation of God's Word, Pastor Eddie has taught the Word of God to thousands of people around the world. The following message is from a recent service at Family Worship Center in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Let's join Pastor Eddie as he shares simple truths from God's Word. Psalm 127, verse number 3. Psalm 127, verse number 3. I'm going to read out of a couple different translations this morning. It says in the Good News translation, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a real blessing. The son a man has when he's young... Notice what he says when he's young. A son a man has when he is young are like arrows in a soldier's, soldier's hand. Happy is the man who has many such arrows or many such sons. He will never be defeated when he meets his enemies in the place of judgment. And then the New Living Translation, which has become one of my favorite translations, uh, it says this, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. That word quiver literally means a container. How joyful is the man whose container is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. How many of you have children? Raise your hand. How many of you have grandchildren? (laughs) There's always a bigger grandchildren, a bigger amen for the grandchildren. This weekend, we had the joy of keeping two of our grandchildren for a night. We had the two-and-a-half-year-old, Aubrey, and we had the ten-year-old, Bryson. You can imagine which one demanded the most attention, the two-and-a-half-year-old. Being a grandparent is a new adventure for Amanda and I. This past summer, we were instantly thrown into the grandparent arena... Uh, because our son last year reconnected to a beautiful lady who he had gone to kindergarten with 25 years earlier. When they reconnected uh, last year, things changed, had changed quite a bit. Tyler was enjoying the single life, uh, living on a houseboat, playing weekends on his Mastercraft ski boat at the lake, and driving a new Nissan 370Z sports car. Likewise, things for Brittany had changed as well. A marriage she had desperately tried to hold together had been destroyed because of drugs and addiction. And she found herself as a single mom with three adorable children living back home with her parents. One year later, a marriage takes place and the houseboat is for sale. (laughs) The Mastercraft ski boat is now owned by a pastor we all know. (laughs) And the Nissan 370Z red sports car has been eliminated And in the driveway sits a Nissan Rogue in its place (laughs) If we had time I could tell you about the prayers and conversations I had with my son As he wrestled with the thought of a lifelong commitment to a lady he loved that God brought back into his life, but also being committed to three children who were not biologically his. 
giving up all your stuff for someone else's kids. You know, that's what Jesus did. He gave up all of his stuff for someone else's kids. If we had the time, I could also tell you about the wrestling that Brittany incurred as she continually dealt with the thought that her marriage was over and how could she raise three children as a single mom. Should she pray and ask the Lord to send another man into her life? What man would take on this responsibility? Why would any man want to raise three children that were not his? Some of you ladies know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. You know that struggle, and some of you guys know that struggle as well. And you feel at times you're living in a hopeless situation, and it's just to be honest with you, it's because of these kids. It's because of the kids. And you're living in a hopeless situation. Well, let me tell you what the Scripture says about your hopeless situation. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. The Lord says this, Call to me and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Listen, single moms, single dads, people who who find yourself this morning in a heartbreaking relationship with someone that doesn't seem like it's going to, It's going to materialize and work out. Let me tell you something. You can call upon the Lord and He understands and He will show you great mighty things that you thought were impossible to happen can happen again. All right? Isaiah chapter 65 verse 24 says this. It shall come to pass that before you call, I will answer. And while you are still speaking, I will hear. Luke chapter 11, verse 9, one I remind the Lord constantly about. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. It's it's in the continuous tense and he's saying, ask and keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking and it will be given to you. And then Psalm 91, 15, one of my favorites says, He shall call upon me, you will call upon him and he will answer you. He will be with us in trouble. He will deliver us and honor us. Let me tell you this morning, God is not hindered or limited by the difficulty of our situation. I don't care how difficult it is for you this morning. God is not hindered or limited by the difficulty of your situation. He is only limited. He is only, God is only limited by our lack of willingness to believe. He's only limited by our lack of willingness to believe. So Amanda and I are brand new to this grandparent thing. (laughs) And let me tell you something. It sure is fun. It sure is fun. Me and and Bryson went Friday night to see Lego Batman. I tell you, that was the best movie. There wasn't no women crying. There, there There wasn't no killing there wasn't no drama with adult drama on there, somebody cheating on somebody or something. It was just Batman as a Lego man beating the Joker. I sat there, the only, the only stress I had was I going to get more popcorn out of that bucket than Bryson was going to get out, out of that bucket. That was the only stress I had all night long. I've discovered it's a great adventure being a grandparent. How many of you have discovered it's a great adventure being a grandparent? 
Children are God's gift. Amanda and I had our two, and uh, we just didn't, we weren't mature enough to realize how great a gift we had. We saw an expense. We saw somebody that kept us up at night. We saw someone stealing our, our health and stealing our rest and stealing our, our money and stealing our sleep. You know, we saw somebody stealing our, our time and stealing our fun and stealing our vacations. That's what we saw when we were immature. Now, as I've become a grandparent, I can say, boy, children are a gift of God. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a real blessing. They are a real blessing. Did you notice how the Holy Spirit classifies our children? He calls them gifts. The Holy Spirit calls our children's gifts. And then he says, they're gifts from the Lord. They're gifts from the Lord. Your, your child might have arrived in a, from a situation that wasn't the best. A relationship that might not have been, should have been. A moment of physical intimacy that you let it get away from you, and if you had it to do over again, you would not have gotten yourself in that situation. Your child might be here today because of that moment that you wished you could take back. But I'm going to tell you, regardless of how they came, the Bible says they're still gifts from the Lord. Children are gifts from the Lord. A more accurate translation says this. This is literally what it says. Children are gifts belonging to the Lord. They belong to the Lord. They don't belong to us. They are the Lord's gifts. The King James translation calls our children the heritage of the Lord. Jewish rabbis used to teach that a child has three parents. God, the biological father, and the biological mother. God, the father, and the mother. As a parent and grandparent, we must always remember that we have a spiritual responsibility to properly steward God's gift. They're God's gift, which are our children. Look at Genesis chapter 33. Look at Genesis chapter 33, talking about uh, uh, Jacob, the, uh, the great patriarch Jacob. Genesis chapter 33, verse 1 says, Then Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and his two servant wives. He put the servant wives and their children at the front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. This Jacob, he was a character. He sees a mad brother coming at him, and he puts the women out there in front. I know, I've met some Jacobs here in Murfreesboro. I've met some of those guys. Then Jacob went on ahead, and as he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept, two brothers getting back together. Verse 5, Then Esau looked at the women and children and asked, Who are these people with you? Notice his response, Jacob's response. These are the children God has graciously given to me. Your servant Jacob replied. God, they are God's gift that he gives to us. It's our responsibility as adults to steward properly God's gifts. They're not just an IRS exemption. All right? They're not just an IRS exemption. They're not just a, a pain. They're not just a burden. 
They're not just a trial. They are God's gift. And he's given us that gift to steward and to raise and to nurture and develop. So this morning I want to talk to you about a few principles that Amanda and I have learned raising our two children. Number one, a man's spiritual insight is tied to his responsibility as a parent. You want to... I have a lot of people that say, Pastor, I just want to know more about the Lord. You want to know more about the Lord? Then become the parent God wants you to be. There's some things you'll only know about the Lord as by being a good parent. Look at Genesis chapter 18. Let me show it to you. Let me prove it to you. Let's read read several verses. One of the most fascinating chapters in the whole Old Testament. Genesis chapter 18. Then the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted, Genesis chapter 18, verse 2. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. Three men were standing by Abraham. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts. After that, you may pass by since you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. Three angels. And they appear to Abraham. And Abraham says, hey, let me, let me feed you here. Let me give you some nourishment. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, Quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter. Thank God for butter. (laughs) Everything's better with butter. So he took butter and milk. See, he believed in cornbread and butter milk. You people who drink cornbread and sweet milk, it's cornbread. He see, he took butter and milk. So, Old Testament, it's butter milk. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he prepared, and it set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they asked to him, where is Sarah your wife? He said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. You've got to remember, Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 90. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. No, she says, after I've grown old, am I going to have a child? And that guy I'm married with, he ain't got it in him. He ain't got it in him. And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Verse 15, one of the craziest verses. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh. Now, you know, (laughs) girls, you bought those shoes. They didn't fall into the back seat of the car. Just admit it. 
For she was afraid, and she said, no. He said, no, but you did lie. Then the men arose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. Now here's what I want you to see, verse 17. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? The Lord says, am I going to hide from Abraham the things that I'm going to do. Now, why would God not feel compelled to hide from Abraham some things that had nothing really to do with Abraham's immediate family? Why would God want to reveal these things or feel compelled to reveal anything to Abraham? God's God. Abraham's just a man. Why? Notice what he said. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Verse 19. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they may keep the ways of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. In other words, God is saying this. Listen, if you are stewarding your gift properly. The gift of children and family that I've given you the responsibility over, I will make sure I will reveal to you everything that could possibly touch their lives in the days to come. See, our spiritual insight can be directly tied to our responsibility as godly parents. They're gifts of the Lord. Arrows in the hands of a mighty man. Verse 20. And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the outcry against it that has come to me. If not, I will know. Verse 22. Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Now listen to what he's saying. Abraham's given us an insight that you and I need to learn for this day. Abraham says, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose that there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not despair it for 50 righteous that were in it? Far Now notice verse 25. Far it be from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far it be from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Listen to what Abraham says. He says, it's not like you, God, to destroy the righteous with the wicked. He said, far it be from you, God. Abraham's talking to God here. God's not talking to Abraham. Abraham's talking to God. He says, God, it's not like you. See, understand, this father understood the character of God. He says, it's not in your character, God, to destroy the righteous with the wicked. He says, if 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 you could find 50 people in Sodom and Gomorrah, Would you spare the city? Verse 26. So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Now Abraham had been there. So he knew how such a sinful and lawless place it was. So he begins negotiating. 27. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed, now I am... I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50. 45. Would you destroy all the city for a lack of five? 
And he said, if I find 45 righteous, I will not destroy it. Verse 29, and Abraham spoke to him again and said, suppose there be 40. Can I get 40? Can I get 40? Can I get 40? (laughs) Suppose there were 40 there. He said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Now listen to you. Listen. Some of people, and you see it on Facebook, and you see it on social media, and something, God's going to destroy America. He's not going to destroy America. God's not going to destroy America. You know why God's not going to destroy America? Because of the righteous. Because of the righteous. And he spoke to him yet again, verse 29, suppose there be 40 found there. He said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Verse 30, then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak, suppose 30 be found there. He said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, indeed now I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. And he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but, more, but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. Do you hear what he's saying? God's saying, I don't want to bring judgment. I'm looking for a reason not to bring judgment. Here's what else you need to understand. Abraham determined the destiny of Sodom. Sodom didn't determine the destiny of itself. The destiny of our nation is dependent upon the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, not Washington, D.C. Do you understand that? If the church stops praying, our, our, our nation is gone. They might tell you you're, you're out of mainstream. They might tell you that you have nothing as Christians. We don't want to hear what you have to say. But we know, according to the Word of God, it's the church that determines the destiny of any country. Notice, God says, I will not destroy it for ten. And then notice how this ends. And he said, let not the Lord be angry. Verse 32, I will speak but once more. Suppose ten should be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Can I tell you something? The one who stopped the negotiation was Abraham. If he had gone down to five, the Lord does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Children, a man's spiritual inside is directly tied to his ability as a parent. And the Lord said, I'm going to do all of this because Abraham, I know him, he will command his children correctly. Here's the second thing Amanda and I have learned over the years, that children are the arrows of a mighty man. Look at Psalm 127, verse 3. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows. Everybody say arrows. Bob Rini has allowed me to, to use. He's brought me one of his arrows. Bob, has this ever killed anything? Not that one. This is one Pat shot. And you pulled out of the ceiling, wasn't it? The one Pat shot. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. Not only does the Bible teach us that children are God's gift to us, it also says that children are arrows in a warrior's hand. It doesn't say that children are simply arrows. It says that our children are arrows in a warrior's hand. 
So the warrior has as much to do with the, the efficiency of the arrow as the arrow itself. An arrow is not effective. An arrow is not effective on a shelf or in a container. An arrow's effectiveness is directly tied to the ability of the archer, who is the parent or the guardian who releases the arrow, who is the child. Now here's what you need to understand as parents. As the archer, you have authority. You have spiritual authority. Parents, grandparents, and guardians... Understand, you have authority in the spiritual realm concerning the children under your care. You have authority. Some of you are just letting the devil wear you, your children out, and you just need to put your foot down and say, no, this ain't going to happen. I have authority. Remember, they're God's gifts. God would never give you a gift without giving you the authority to steward that gift. You have authority under children in your care. Spiritual authority. Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Turn over to the New Testament. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. Now when Jesus has crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter, here's a father, coming in behalf of her child. My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So Jesus went him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Now notice, Jesus responds, Jesus responded to the Father's request of faith. Mark 5, 24. So Jesus went with him. And a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Faith doesn't deny reality. Faith believes God can change any present reality. Notice what the father says. My daughter is at the point of death. Faith, you know, over the years I've heard Christians who get... And I love the message of faith. And I grew up in the word of faith camp. And and I love it. But they get all messed up on it. You'll hear them say, somebody else say, well, don't say that, don't say that, don't say that. Listen, faith does not deny reality. Notice what the father said. My daughter is at the point of death. That was the reality. We're in a bad spot here. She's getting ready to die. The father didn't say, ah, she's not sick. She's not sick, I'm not confessing that. I'm not believing that. That's not what the father said. Faith does not deny reality. Faith does not deny reality. Faith believes God can change the present reality. My daughter is at the point of death. That's the reality. But you come and lay your hands on her and she'll be healed. See, Faith does not deny reality. Faith believes God can change the present reality. Now hear what I'm about to say. The father placed a demand on God. The father, the steward... The one who's responsible for the gift placed a demand on God. It wasn't a demand from a motivation of pride or rebellion, but a demand from a steward asking the master to confirm his authority over an enemy that was trying to steal his gift. He placed a demand on God. The Father, you can place... I've done it... 
18, 18 months old. Tyler was 18 months old, and he had been having reoccurring seizures. And uh, we had just taken him to the doctor. And, uh, and the doctor said, well, give him this pink medicine. How many of you know what that pink medicine You remember what that pink medicine was? We just wore that pink medicine out. I mean, I own, I own more stock in pink medicine than anything. And he, we were leaving the doctor's office, and we'd gotten a block away from the doctor's office, and he had another seizure in the car. We're, we've been parents for just a little over 12 months. We don't know what we're doing. We're scared to death. We're trying to pastor a little church, trying to walk in faith, trying to raise a, a kid who's sick. And this kid has another seizure right after leaving the doctor's office. We spin around and, and Amanda grabs him out of the seat and, and runs into the doctor's office. And next thing I know, she's coming right out with him in her arms. And she said, the doctor said, let's get him straight to the hospital. The hospital was like three blocks away from the doctor's office. So she gets back in the car and she, she, uh, we take off. And the doctor must have gone out the back of his office, got in his car. And when we got, about the time we got there and got him in to the emergency room, the doctor comes out of the back of the emergency room and he takes our son. And he says, I'm afraid it might be spinal meningitis. And I looked at him and I said, what's spinal, spinal meningitis? She said, Daddy, Eddie, that's not good. I said, really? She said, no. And he grabbed him and take, took him in there. And I immediately left the emergency room and ran down the hallway to the hospital chapel. I go in the chapel and I run. The chapel's probably not bigger than this platform. And it was one of these, like the Catholics wear the cross. And, and it was real neat, real neat place. And, uh, two places I like the hospital, cafeteria and the chapel. I, I like both of them. Good mashed potatoes at the hospital. Always good mashed potatoes. For people who don't have teeth, they got to get them real creamy, you know. <laughs> so I know where the cafeteria is, and I know where the chapel is in every hospital. You need both as a pastor. So I ran to the chapel. I ran to the front, and I fell face down, just weeping. I heard the door open, and I was thinking, it's Manda. Or it's somebody, a nurse or somebody. Maybe the chaplain saw me come in. Or maybe just somebody. And I was crying and I heard the door open. So I thought I better calm down. And then I heard this voice. Like you and I talking. This voice said this. If you'll stop preaching today, your son will live. And immediately a darkness came into that room. And it startled me, and out of my mouth said these, I will never stop preaching the gospel, and my son will live and not die. And again, I heard it. If you'll stop preaching today, your son will live. And out of my mouth, I said, I will never stop preaching the gospel. My son will live and not die. And immediately, I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, I gave you, you gave me this boy. And I gave him back to you the day he was born. Now I asked you to do what only you can do and heal my son. 
And immediately the door flew open. And it was one of my board members who had heard, gotten a phone call that our child was in the hospital. He walks in and he said, Pastor, they need you down at the emergency room. I got up and walked down to the emergency room. And the doctor came out and he says, it's not spinal meningitis. He said, some other, we're going to treat this. He's going to be okay. And from that day forward, my child never had another seizure. Now listen. Listen to I had to take a stand. Spiritual authority. Spiritual authority. What am I going to do with my kids? I can't do anything with them. They don't listen to me. Get in your prayer closet and take some spiritual authority over the enemy that's trying to steal your children. Notice what it says in verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead, why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. The greatest fear a parent has As a parent, fear is the greatest hindrance to our faith. Jesus, this man says, "Come, my daughter is at the point of death. He's not denying reality. But you come, you lay hands on her, and she'll be healed. Jesus said, I'll come with you. He put a demand on the father. He put a faith demand on him. As the guardian, you can put a faith demand. He put a faith man. As they were going, a woman with an issue of blood comes and touched Jesus. Jesus, she's healed. So there's a, there's a time delay with this crowd. And finally, by the time Jesus gets finished ministering to this lady, finally these servants of this man who'd come to Jesus, asking him to heal his daughter, says, Hey, she's just died. Jesus heard them say that. Don't trouble him. She's already dead. Jesus says, No, no, no. You stay in faith. Don't let fear steal your faith. Don't let fear steal your faith. Some of you parents have had dreams for your children. The Lord has showed you what He's going to do for your children. And now it seems like today they're so far removed from that, you're about to let go of that dream. Don't let fear steal your faith. Don't let fear steal your faith. Verse 37. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, saw atonement and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? This child is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and mother of the child and those who were with him and centered where the child was lying. You know what the Lord taught us? Our children will never reach their destiny surrounded by the wrong people. Children will never reach your destiny surrounded by the wrong people. Notice he had to put some people out. And as the spiritual guardian, you have the responsibility. Jesus had to put some people out because he understood that child would never reach its destiny surrounded by the wrong people. Verse 41, then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl rose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement, but he commanded them that strictly that no one should know it that, and said that something should be given her to eat. Glory to God. Anytime you're eating, it's a healing in the house. This, parents, they're gifts. 
regardless of the situation revolving their coming, they're still a gift. They're a precious gift. They're God's gift that He sent to you. It's your and not my responsibility to steward that gift. My spiritual insight as a parent is directly tied to my commitment and motivation and ability to steward God's gift. If he knows that I'm going to raise my child in the fear and admonition of the Lord, he will make sure I know about things that I need to know that's going to affect this child's life. Fear will try to come in and continue to prohibit me from being able to help that child get to their destiny. But at all times, I must, as the guardian, I have the responsibility to make a faith demand. I have spiritual authority in the spirit realm for that child. And sometimes in that child's life, for them to reach their destiny, you've got to make sure some people are out of their life. And I have that response. I can't tell you the number of boys and girls that we've prayed away. We've prayed away. Let me tell you, let me give you some practical. I'll finish with this. You've got a girl, some of you've got girls, beautiful girls. All of our little girls are beautiful. Let me tell you, daddies, let me tell you, mamas, you want, let me tell you the best remedy in the natural to keep boys away from your little girls. Send them, get them at the horse barn every day. Get them at the horse barn every day. Little boys with bad motives don't want to hang around the horse barn. They don't want to muck stalls. They don't want to mess with that manure. Listen, I don't want your manure messing with my girl's manure. I'll take a horse manure over your manure any day of the week. We had more boys come to the horse barn one time and never came back. Hallelujah for horses. The Bible says we'll come back on horses. <laughs> Stand with me, would you? Thank you for listening to The Simple Truth with Pastor Eddie Turner. Please join us at Family Worship Center, 3045 Memorial Boulevard, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, when you are in the Middle Tennessee area. You can also learn more about FWC at our website, www.familywc.com. Thank you again for listening to The Simple Truth.